Welcome to Soundings Podcast. I'm Dudley Evanson, and for more than four decades, my husband Dean Evanson and I have created music and media that supports people and the planet. In our Soundings Podcast, we'll be sharing interviews with wisdom keepers we have met in the course of our life journey. To learn more about our activities and releases, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. A few years ago, we met guitar virtuoso Stanley Jordan at a music therapy conference. We were intrigued that an avant-garde jazz guitarist was featured at a healing event. But once we heard him play, we understood why he was included in the program. Later, we arranged to interview Jordan after his gig at Jazz Alley in Seattle. We were fascinated to learn more about his interesting journey from being a successful jazz artist to his work in the sound healing field. You can also watch the video of the interview on our Soundings Mindful Media YouTube channel. Enjoy. My name is Stanley Jordan, and I've been playing music for as long as I can remember, pretty much. I remember um, when I was about maybe six or so, I remember we had a piano in the house, but this was before I took lessons. And my father had showed me how to make uh, animated movies and like margins in books. And my mother was a scholar and she had wall to wall books. So I had plenty of, you know, open canvas for my movies, you know. And so I used to make these long epic cartoons that would take, you know, 15 books or more. And um, I, um, one of my, my main character in my cartoons was Griffy Grasshooper. And I wrote a little piece on the piano and that was Griffy Grasshooper's theme. And I remember that being the first piece of music that I composed. And I think I was, I was around six, maybe five when I wrote that. My sister tells me that I was playing as early as three years old, but I don't, I don't remember that. And um, I played piano up until about the age 10. And then we fell into some hard times. My folks had to sell the piano. And that was when I got the guitar, which opened up a whole new thing for me because I loved guitar and I had always wanted to play. A lot of the music I was getting interested in had a lot of guitar in it. And so I was able to persuade my folks to get me this guitar. And I stayed up all night and by the morning I was playing it. And that was when I was 11. That was for Christmas when I was 11. And so after playing guitar for several years and knowing that guitar was really my favorite instrument, I started to realize that I still liked a lot of the pianistic possibilities. So I worked out a way to play the guitar in a kind of pianistic way. And that's what I today call the touch technique. And so a lot of people know me for that. But uh, before I did that, I was playing conventional guitar for like six years. So that's kind of just the synopsis of my instrumental beginnings. And music therapy and music healing has been something that I've known about one way or another for quite a while because I had some early experiences with it. I remember one time I had a date to get together with this girl in high school. She was a keyboard player and we were going to get together and, and play music. And I called her up because I had come down with the flu. And I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I, I'm sick today. I don't know if I can do it. And she said, well, cool, whatever, whatever you want is cool. 
And then I thought about it and I realized, well, if I'm going to feel bad, I might as well do something I enjoy. You know, I don't want to sit around just feeling bad. So I called her back and I said, hey, can I come over anyway? She said, okay, no problem. So I went over there and we played all day. And the amazing thing was that at the end of the day, I could really feel the difference. Like it was like it was like I had just processed this flu right out of my system or something just from making music. And I remember thinking, wow, that's strange. I didn't know you could do that with music. And then I just kind of filed that away in my mind, you know. And then years later, I had this funny thing that came to me. Um, when, okay, when I'm getting ready to do a show... I have to be alone, I have to have my peace and quiet. But this one day, I had this weird urge to just walk right out into the middle of the audience, right before a show. And so I started walking out there, and immediately I was approached by this woman who said, do you know anything about music therapy? And I thought, okay, I guess that's why I'm, I'm here. I said, well, no, not really, but you know, I believe that music can heal, but tell me more about it. And she said, well, I'm a music therapist. And I didn't know there was any such thing. And she said, I'd like to tell you more about it. And I've got some information that I can send you. So I said, sure, yes, yeah, send, send it to me. And she sent me way more stuff than I expected. And that's when I started to get hooked because I saw not just the quantity, but also the quality of the science behind this. And I was really impressed by that. By that. And also uh, Kenwood Denard, who's playing in my band, he was playing drums. In those days, in that version of the band, he was with me at the time. And he said that he had had a conversation with his dad about music and they had discussed whether music could heal. And he wanted to know my thoughts on that. And I said, well, it's a funny thing you should mention that because I just got all these papers from this music therapist and I copied it for him. And so kind of all these things started to fall into place, you know. I started going to some of the national conferences of what merged into the American Music Therapy Association. And so I started to get to know some of the music therapists and reading the journals and so forth and becoming somewhat of an advocate. And then it was, I think, um, 1999, I went to the international conference. The national hosted the international that year. And I started to see what people were doing all around the world with this. And at that point, I had this realization that it was time for me to get involved on a more serious level. And that's when I decided to go to school and work towards some kind of degree or something. Not because the degree itself meant all that much to me, but just that I wanted to have the, the knowledge. And so I started attending the master's equivalency program at... Arizona State. I say equivalency because I think they're still working on the official certification of the master's degree, but it's the, all the material of a master's program. And I, so I started working on that. And I remember when I first started, now I'm, I'm two hours away from, from there, two and a half hours. And I remember I was taking this early morning class and I just couldn't wait to get down there for my class. I'd be leaving my house at like five in the morning and just all excited, you know, because every day I was learning so much good stuff. And I felt like everything I've been about, everything that I've been doing my whole life funnels into this because I've always been interested in health. I've always been interested in science, of course, music. And I've always been interested in trying to find a way to use 
my talents, my gifts, whatever that happens to be, in some sort of a service capacity. And, you know, in music, I feel especially able to do that because music touches people so powerfully and it touches so many people, all walks of life, everybody is tuned in somehow to music. So this really, oh, well, the, the other thing is that I, I enjoy finding out about stuff that other people don't know yet, you know, because I like to be kind of like the, um, the trailblazer to say, hey, check this out in five years, in 10 years, everybody's going to talk about this. So this gave me some, you know, new material for that. And um, I just, I love to, to, to get into this. I mean, what I find is that every area of health, healing, wellness, healthcare, the whole field can be assisted one way or another by music. And here's the way I understand it. This is my own personal model of how this whole thing works is that we have concentric circles. So the smallest circle in the, in the middle is what we might call um, sound healing. And that deals with the vibrational properties of sound and the effect of, of vibrations on the body, the systems of the body, on the mind, etc., etc. Okay, And then the next area outside of that, all right, but including that, is music healing. So when the sound happens to be of a pattern that the mind perceives as being music, then we have new emergent properties that kick in because of the fact that it's music, it engages us on different levels. So maybe there's more of an emotional effect. Maybe there's more of a cognitive effect. You know, other things, other centers of our beings kick in. And then the next level beyond that is the level of music therapy. And that's where we have the guidance of the trained music therapists. And in this field, I know that there's a little bit of a kind of a tension between the music therapy and the music healing or sound healing. And it's basically, I think that there's a mutual respect, but at the same time, people are sort of trying to figure out, well, whose domain is what here? And so this is sort of my attempt to, to parse this, this situation. And so I see music therapy as the largest frame because it encompasses the other things because you still have the music and you still have the vibrations. Although what I find in the real world is that most music therapists, most trained registered music therapists are addressing more the outer layers that are not covered by the inner layers. And so for example, music therapists tend to focus more on the use of the music as an intervention and a little bit less on the actual vibrations of the sound. So we've got the whole range covered by different people in different specialties. And my own particular take on this is very much influenced by Barbara Crow, with whom I study at ASU. And it was really fortuitous that I happened to be near where I could study with Barbara because I feel that she is truly one of the top people in the field, and her book, um, Music and Soul Making, in my opinion, if I could only recommend one book about the field, it would definitely be that book. And I used some inspiration from that book when I made my album, State of Nature. Let me just tell you a little bit about um, Barbara Crow's book. Um, 
what she does is she has this theory of music therapy and she introduces this new theory and it's based on complexity science chaos theory and she uses this as a theoretical foundation for understanding music therapy and she basically tells you everything that music therapists are doing and she shows how it can be understood within the framework of this theory and I'm particularly into this because this whole area and it's sort of part of this whole movement toward a kind of a general systems theory approach and this in the theoretical world is is dealing with so many real world sciences today and it's unifying a lot of different sciences for example the unity between um, ecology and economics i mean it's just bringing so many different fields together so it makes sense that it would be applicable in music therapy so what she does is she explains it in this framework and then she takes it a step further and she says, well, given this basis, we would think then that we could go beyond this and that music therapists could do other things that they're not doing now. So she makes some suggestions there. And then she says, we could even go beyond therapy. And we could even get into this area of music as applied philosophy, sort of as a path of inquiry to help us understand this world that we live in. So I decided to test that idea. And on my album, State of Nature, I found while I was working on it, I realized that I'm deeply concerned about some of the issues with the environment and that I really felt passionately that I needed to make a statement about this. And so what I did was, while I was working on the album, I had two questions in my mind. One question was, how can it be that we can be so knowingly destructive to the environment and yet we don't change we just stay stuck in this rut and then the second question is what can we change that would make us just naturally and spontaneously want to live more harmoniously with the natural world and so while I was working on the music I sort of used the music to help me to address these questions and the basic approach that I would use is like this. You know how when you're doing any kind of um, endeavor, and music is no exception to this, you're always learning little things along the way. And you're always seeing examples of universal truth being played out in whatever your field of study is. So whenever I would see examples of that, I would look for the bigger frame of that and try to apply it to my two questions. And what I found is that it totally applied. And I got some insights into this whole thing that were really meaningful for me. So I was able to use the music not only as a way of finding some answers to these questions, but also as a way of expressing those answers in this form of, of my album. And so just to tell you some of the things that I, that I came to, one of the main things is this idea that we are a young species. We've only been here for a blink of the eye in geological time. And maybe it takes a new species, you know, a little bit of time to, to find its place, you know. And we're at this point where we are, we, we kind of have a sense of who we are and what our power is, but we don't really have a sense of where we fit into the larger frame. And so what we need to do is essentially complete our education. 
we need to move from this sort of adolescent or sort of teenage mentality to more of an adult mentality. And what maturity is basically about, the, the process of becoming more and more mature, is it basically, essentially what it is, is it's a process of becoming less and less self-centered and more and more global-centered or, or other-centered. And the way that this came to me in the music is that I was realizing that every step of the way, as I was working on my album, the things that I needed to do in order to come up with the best results musically always first involved working on me. It always involved some kind of improvement in, you know, maybe I needed to get more sleep, maybe I needed to eat higher octane food, or, or maybe I needed to um, basically do uh, physical exercises to get my circulation, get my flexibility. I found if I was more flexible in body, I could be more flexible in mind and therefore more creative. All kinds of specifics. But the general frame is that I found that, that the more I improved myself, the better my album would be. And that's when it hit me that all the things that I had to do to make the best album were the same things that we human beings need to do to create the best lifestyle sustainably on the planet. And once I made that connection, that everything started to fall into place. And so kind of following on that thread as far as completing our, our education, it all comes down to some sort of an expansion in mind. And this could be in different dimensions. So for example, expansion in the time dimension. So instead of thinking, okay, you know, um, I just have seven weeks until this financial quarter is over. That's all I'm worried about, you know. Okay, but what about the next seven years? Or what about the next seven generations, you know? Or what about expanding our mind in space? By thinking, you know, okay, my yard looks fine. Everything is good, you know. Um, and especially since I just got rid of the trash. Now everything looks great. Well, wait a minute. Where did that trash go? It always goes somewhere, you know. Buckminster Fuller pointed out that that the, the, the nature of being on this spherical planet is that the inside and the outside, that every inside is also an outside. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you draw a circle in a, in a, on the surface of the earth and you make the, and you say everything in that circle is the inside and everything beyond that circle, that's the outside. Well, if you make that circle bigger and bigger and bigger, it's going to wrap around the planet and it's going to get small again and it's going to, it's, it's going to become an inside. So every inside is an outside. So where does that trash go? And so thinking on a bigger scale in terms of space, where does our junk go that we send out into space, you know? Okay. What about expanding in terms of our circle of care? Like, for example, do I only care about my immediate physical body, my myself with a conventional name, you know? Or am I also concerned about my immediate family? What about my tribe, my race, my nation, or people who are in the same socioeconomic category or whatever? You can keep expanding. What about other species and so forth? And, and we need to expand that circle of care because even what we call evil a lot of times is that somebody cares, but they care in too small of a circle. And so, yeah, they're protecting somebody, but they're protecting somebody at the expense of someone else that they're not thinking about. And so on all these levels, whether it's time, space, compassion, take your pick, 
go on and on. The point is, is that we need to expand our minds one way or another. And that's what I was discovering that I had to do to make my album. So I thought, well, well couldn't I figure out a way to sort of give people a taste of that so that when they listen to the album, they have a little bit of that experience of the same kind of expansion that I experienced when I was working on it. Because I figured, you know, and borrowing from some of these same music therapy principles, a lot of times things may seem different, but the deep structure is the same. And so, in other words, when you listen to music, the, the moves that your mind needs to make in order to understand that music might be the same moves that your mind needs to make to deal with some other situation. And so in that sense, the music could actually be empowering you to deal with the other situation. So in this case, I thought, well, how can I use this recording to sort of gently nudge people to kind of expand their scope a little bit? So one of the things that I hit on was the thing that I like to do anyway, and that is to play music of a variety of styles. And this worked for me for a lot of reasons anyway, because it had been some years since I had released some new music. So I thought, well, I've got all this backlog of stuff. Rather than take just one little piece of it and put that out, let me take a cross-section, but a real representative cross-section, and put all these different kinds of music in there. Well, what's going to happen if I do that is it, the album's going to have more variety than the average commercial CD. And so maybe it's going to be a little uncomfortable at first for some people listening to it, but if they can just hang with it and just go with all these different kinds of music, then what's going to happen is when they get to the point where they can hear all that music as being just part of one continuum, then what they've done in order to, to hear it that way is that they've expanded their mind to another level. So, and from that point of view, it all makes sense. It all, it all fits. It's just kind of like if you were in New, York, in, in New York City and somebody said, okay, create a map of the city and you're walking around in the street, it's going to be a little bit difficult to do. But if you go up on one of those buildings, then you can look around, you can look down on it, then it's like, oh, okay, everything makes sense here. You know. So I was trying to do the same kind of thing with music. So that's one of the areas where I felt that in a gentle sort of way, I could kind of encourage people to do what I had done, which is to ex expand their horizons. And again, I'm testing Barbara Crow's hypothesis because this whole idea that music can help us to understand the world um, and, and hitting on some of these ideas like what are the things we need to do? We need to expand ourselves mentally. Um, all this came from my work on the music. We need to get out of our comfort zone in certain areas, which seems to be one of the main things that's holding us back. And I, I realized that I didn't need to deal with issues like pollution and global warming and carbon footprint and all that, because there's plenty of information about that stuff already. As an artist, I felt that my domain was more like the inner world, like things like how do we see ourselves in the planet? You know, what is our, who are we? And what should we do about who we are? Stuff like that. And, and so by addressing some of those issues, I came up with things like, what, what is this process of being able to get out of the comfort zone? And in my case, 
I realized that there were some areas where I probably would have to do that myself in order to take my music to the next level. Maybe I was being a little bit complacent and going with the music that was comfortable for me to play. So maybe I need to take on a challenge and try some things where I've been holding back. So where, where have I been holding back? And one of the things that I came up with is this realization that I absolutely love playing piano. I always loved playing piano. And I never really wanted to quit playing piano. But when I took up the guitar, the piano kind of receded into the background. And then over time, I had access to a piano, I started playing again, but by that time, I was a guitar player. So in other words, I had this mental construct. I was in this box, and I had built up a little bit of fear because, oh, what happens if I play piano and people don't like it, or they say, oh, you should stick to guitar, you're not as good on piano. And so some of those kinds of fears had held me back, and I realized that that was keeping me from getting to the core issue of what it's really all about. Because what it's really all about is not the kind of ego satisfaction of people being able to say, oh, you're great, or whatever. What it's really all about is making music. And that comes from a whole different thing. It's like, if I get hit with musical inspiration, then I feel like I'm some sort of a channel of this music. And... I take that seriously. I figure if I've been chosen for whatever reason to bring this music into the world, then I guess I better do something with it, you know? And so I was realizing that I wasn't being true to my art by leaving out the piano. And so sometimes we have to prioritize. And I realized that, mu that the true essence of music was my priority more than, you know, what the newspapers say or whatever. And, and, so when I focused on my priorities and I realigned my priorities, it made it easier for me to get out of my comfort zone. It, well, let me say, it made it easier for me to pull together the will to get out of my comfort zone. And then once I started on that path, what I found is that it wasn't nearly as difficult as I expected it to be. Because once I got involved in playing the piano on my album, then I was just thinking about, okay, how am I going to turn this phrase around? Okay, how am I going to make that change? Oh, that note should be a little quieter. And I was just totally wrapped up in the music. And then it became this really fulfilling thing because it was like this epiphany. It's like this has been here all along. And now I finally got the essence of what I've been hungering for all this time. And, and so I realized that given this connection, this kind of metaphor with the world, I think it's the same thing. I think if we decided okay, look, we're going to go for it, we're going to change our energy sources, we're going to change our lifestyle, and all that stuff. If we just decided to go ahead and do it, because we've aligned our priorities, we know what's important, then once we get started on that process, all these problems and all these discomforts and worries about the economy and all this stuff is going to go away. Because we're going to get so caught up in the day-to-day -day creativity of finding new ways to refashion our lifestyle, things that we can't even think about now until we get into that process. And so this is when the light bulbs just totally went off for me because I realized that this is this really is the missing piece as, as I see it. Figuring out this internal kind of stuff. Like I say, we have the theories, we have the technology coming down the pike. So the real question is what's going on inside of us? What is the sort of the inner technology of dealing with getting over our limited thinking, 
dealing with our emotions, getting to the point where we are able to muster the, the will to make the changes that we need to make. And it's only that initial step, because once you get over that step, I think we're going to find it's easier than we think. One of the things that I enjoy so much about studying music therapy is, is just finding all the different ways that music can be used. And a lot of these things are things that you don't have to be a trained music therapist to, to do. And people a lot of times ask me about this because they say, well, what can I do? I don't know anything about therapy or music. There's so many things that people can do. Like, like one example is I have a few books that I, that I recommend. There's this one book that's called The Green Book of Songs by Subject. And it's this big fat book that's just a list of songs, but they're, they're classified in an outline by subject. So you could look up a song based on any concept, like think of a word. It's almost kind of like a thesaurus of, of musical titles. And so then what you do is you, is you look through this and you start to think about, um, you, you think about situations where this song might be meaningful to somebody, you know? So just one example is the song about, um, 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 I don't know the title of it, but that old song, he had high hopes, he had high apple pie in the sky hopes. Remember that song? That's a song about somebody achieving something that, maybe seemed impossible, but because they had the the will from the inside, they went ahead and they just did it, you know? And so maybe you or someone you know is trying to accomplish something and they're experiencing resistance. A song like that might be inspiring, you know? Maybe you have a problem and just us hearing a song by somebody who sings about having that same problem will at least make you feel like like you're not alone, you know? How did the character in the song solve the problem. Hmm. You know what? I don't like how they solve that problem. I think I'm going to rewrite those lyrics and I'm going to come up with my solution to that to that problem, you know? All kinds of things like that. And so the the lyrical value of songs is something that anyone can understand and can relate to. So a lot of times for people who don't know this stuff, I recommend dealing with songs with with lyrics. The other thing is keep in mind the the use of the of the cognitive mind. Like sometimes you want to simulate it, sometimes you want to relax it. And so like, for example, um, if I'm doing something like playing for, for a surgical procedure, like let's say if I'm playing during the induction when the patient is going under general anesthetic, then I probably will not want to play a recognizable theme because that's going to engage the conscious mind and the person might start to say, hey, I know that song, or th there's a possibility even of musical allergies. Like I know someone who is allergic to Peter and the Wolf, because I think she was forced to listen to it when she was a little kid, because somebody wanted her to have, you know, culture, you know? And so she, she had to listen to the song, and she was scared to death of like the duck getting eaten or something. And, and so to this day, she, she doesn't want to hear the song. So you never know when you're gonna trigger some weird memory that someone has. So I steer clear of that and I play really abstract music that is just sort of takes you to a place and appeals to you on all kinds of levels but not so much on a structural, pattern, mental, classifying level, you know. On the other hand, when the person is coming up out of the general anesthetic, 
then I might play a recognizable song. So, like, a good example of that might be something like Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. You know what I mean? There's, like, a lot of beautiful things that would be a nice welcome song back in, into the world. Okay, another, another area of use of music that people can do when they don't have a lot of knowledge of this stuff is um, music for the fetus. And you could pretty much figure that any music that the mother enjoys is is fine music to listen to and I did this um, thing with uh, I was doing a seminar talking about music therapy and there was a couple in the audience um, the the wife was pregnant so we decided to try a little test and we put the speaker up to her tummy you know and I got into a little dialogue with the baby because what what the mom was doing was she was giving indications of like when the baby was moving and how the baby was moving and so I was responding to the movements of the baby and also trying to come up with things that would get a reaction from the baby. So I think we kind of had a little bit of a conversation going, you know. And uh, so this is really important because the music that creates a, a sense of well-being and peace creates a chemistry in the mother's body. And those chemicals communicate to the fetus on a developmental level. And so, for example, if it's the endorphins, all the pleasure chemicals, then the baby gets this, this idea that the world is a safe place, there's peace, there's love, and so the baby comes into the world expecting that. On the other hand, if the mother has a lot of stress and you get the chemicals like the adrenaline and the cortisone and all that kind of stuff, then what happens is um, those chemicals will affect the development of, of the fetus in a detrimental way. And there have been studies showing that, that um, it's more likely that that person will grow up to, to commit crimes and just all kinds of dangers in, involved in, in, in that. And, and so on a chemical level, it's important that the mother sort of be bathed in this pleasurable you know, chemistry and of course, music has such a profound ability to do that. So through the mother and also through the sounds, since the baby can hear in the womb, there's a lot of ways of you know, communicating with the baby. So those are a few of the, of the kinds of things that people can do. Let me just mention one other thing, because this is something that is pretty profound. You have to... You have to know a little bit about music to, to do this. But even if you don't know a lot, I think most people can, can figure this out. What you do is you take a bunch of different songs and you put them all together and you burn a CD of it. And you um, order the songs in order from fastest to slowest. And then you do another version of the same songs in order from slowest to fastest. And, excuse me, and the trick to it is that you don't really need a huge variation of tempos. What's most effective is if the tempo changes very gradually and consistently over time, because then the body will follow that. It's the process called entrainment. And it's an, it's an amazing thing, because when I did this the first time, I was amazed at the effect that it had. Like when I went from the slow to fast, it not only made me really feel good physically, but also emotionally, it gave me a lift.
And uh, I tested this. I was talking to a friend who had a whole bunch of problems and was confused and couldn't figure out what to do and needed someone to talk to. I said, sure, I'll, I'll be a sounding board. So she was talking about all of her problems, you know, and I put on the, the slow to fast in the background. And what happened was that as the music started to kind of pick up a little bit, you know, then her whole vibe changed. And she started thinking, well, you know, I do have this possibility and I do have that possibility. Next thing you know, by the end, she had all these new ideas for how to address this problem, you know. And then when you do the fast to slow, you got to be a little careful. Like, I don't recommend it while driving a car or operating heavy machinery. <laughs> Not a good idea. But like, for example, if you, if you want to get to sleep at night and you're having difficulty with insomnia and you don't really want to take a sleeping pill or whatever, try the fast to slow. You'd be amazed at how the body will follow those gradual changes in tempo. So that's an experiment that people can try. Well, one thing, and I, I didn't find this out until recently, um, but um, it turns out that music is the only stimulus we know of that can simultaneously stimulate every area of the brain. And the implications of that have got to be really vast. I mean, think about it. I mean, on one level, there's got to be an integration that occurs with that. And then on another level, we would think that it's got to somehow increase the functioning overall of the brain and, and increase the person's in intelligence. I know you have to be a little bit careful because there have been some books and some studies without real good quality science that said that music makes you smarter and 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 so when you know you got to be a little little bit careful of making claims however my intuition tells me and my experience tells me that music does have the power to increase our, our intelligence and when you um, understand this idea that music basically lights up the whole brain it's easy to understand why something like that would, would occur and there are a lot of therapeutic benefits as well since the brain has this power of what they call plasticity where functions can migrate to different regions of the brain so like for example if somebody has experienced damage to their brain due to maybe an accident or perhaps due, due to a stroke, they might lose some of their brain function. But music has the ability to stimulate the brain and help them to recover some of that lost function. And there's some phenomenal cases. In fact, I just talked to someone the other day who, who said a family member has experienced this very thing, where they had a stroke, they lost part of their language ability, but they still retained their musical Ability. The interesting thing is that song lyrics are processed in the brain as music and not as language in most people. And so in the case of like the person my friend was telling me about, their relative, they were able to understand lyrics, but they couldn't understand speech. And so if you sing to them, then they can understand you. And, and so I think that the result of that, I would expect, should be that over, you know, more and more exposure to that, over time, I think they're going to start to recover their ability to understand speech. It's certainly their chances are, are greatly improved. And, and so that's an example of some of the wonderful sort of neurological benefits of music. You know, there's a, that famous movie with Robin Williams, um, Awakenings, and it was about uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks. And I read an article that he wrote, and he was talking about that movie. 
And basically the movie was about these people who had this, um, I forget the name of the condition, but they found that, that L-Dopa was able to bring them out of this state. And the movie was about the, the L-Dopa effect. But what Oliver Sacks said is that they were getting better results with music and that he didn't understand why the people who made the movie totally left that out. The movie was totally about this drug, but what he thought was more important, was more interesting, was the fact that they got the same results and better with the music. And he wanted to point that out since, you know, this is the area to follow up on. You know, and I mean, I, I suppose we could say that, okay, it's all vibrations at some level. I mean, every chemical is a symphony because every molecule is an instrument because you got the you know carbon nitrogen stretching vibration and all these different frequencies in there and so we can certainly think of it that way but when we get into music when we get into the vibrations that that a person actually perceives in a musical way then this remarkable thing happens because just like it lights up every area of the brain Beyond that, even, it lights up every area of the being. It's like it, it engages us physically, it engages us emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it engages every layer. And that's why I think of it as a kind of holistic healing. And that's why it has this power that I think is almost unique. And... At the same time, it's been a little bit difficult to study scientifically. This also shows why it's been kind of difficult to, to, to study. Because there's so many different effects all happening at once. And the sort of conventional model of scientific research is based on isolating the variables. And you can certainly do that. And there have been studies where they've done that, like the Barry Bittman study it was very good science. Um, in fact, he did a, a talk, I saw a talk that he did talking about what does it take to do a good quality conventional scientific study. And so I know that he did that. However, when music works and, and when it works at its best, it works for so many different reasons all at once. And so you need a different kind of scientific model to understand that. It's the same thing in the, in the environment. You know, someone will say, well, who cares if the honeybees die, or who cares if the frogs die, or whatever. Well, wait a minute. Everything is so interlocked, you have no idea what you're going to do. If you pull one species out of the ecosystem, it could create chaos. It's like in, in I had an experience of this in, in music when I was working on my album Cornucopia. We had just finished mixing a song, and my engineer, Brian Lee, he, he, said, he said, let's have some fun. I want to show you something. He said, um, okay, we're listening to the, to the mix. He said, is there any instrument on the mixing board that you could change up or down in volume and without screwing up the mix? And I said, yeah, we could probably, uh, you know, turn this instrument up a little bit. He said, okay, do it. So I turned it up. Okay, no problem, no problem. Then after a while I was, oh, wait a minute. Okay, now that instrument is kind of fighting with this other instrument. He said, okay, what do you do? I said, okay, well, let's see. I'll turn this one over here. He said, okay. So I did that. Okay. Oh, that created another problem over here. Okay, I'll fix that. Next thing I knew, the whole mix was out of whack. And it was like, you might as well start over. And he said, see, that's how you know when the mix is done. Because 
you can't change anything without screwing up the whole mix. And that was a real revelation for me because that same principle applies on so many levels. It applies to the process of composition, like listen to Mozart and try to change a couple of notes and see what happens, you know? Or like, um, um, you know, getting back to, to, to music and the, the therapeutic effects of music, this is the reason why we need more like the newer science to understand the effects of, of music. And this is where Barbara Crow's work comes in because her book, Music and Soul Making, is all about bringing in this new um, science to study music therapy. And she's talking about complexity science, chaos theory. These are this the sort of new scientific paradigm that's able to study these complex nonlinear interactions. And okay, maybe it's not as simple in in one sense as studying things where you can control and isolate all the variables. But we can't say that it's unscientific. There's there is you, we have to cultivate the right kind of science to study this. So what she does in this book is she goes through and explains pretty much everything that music therapists do. And she shows how it all is explainable within this, you know, framework of complexity science. And and one insight that I that I got from that is that we have to have an allowance for the unexpected and and for chaos. And that there is this sense that chaos is is healthy you know sometimes if a cataclysmic event occurs and we might think oh my god there's an earthquake this is a, a disaster but maybe on a geological level this is just the earth kind of restoring balance you know or like in the financial markets all of a sudden the price goes way up and then it goes way down well you know maybe that's just a market correction and there's one theory that says that sometimes market corrections are, are healthy you know and in the in the body as well, the ability to respond to unexpected stimuli is a sign of a he healthy body and a healthy immune system. There's an um, important book on this topic, specifically uh, by Mark Ryder, The Rhythmic Language of Health and Disease. And one thing that he points out, and this is totally in agreement with Barbara Crow's work, is that instead of just approaching it the old way and saying that everything that you measure in the body has to be within this narrow range. And as long as it's within that range, we call that healthy. And anything outside that range, that's unhealthy and we have to get it back into that range. Well, not necessarily, because maybe the body needs to be able to have these wild swings in order to do what it does, to correct some imbalance. Like, let's take a fever, for example, you know? All of a sudden, your body temperature goes really high. Well, it's not supposed to be that high. And it, obviously, if it gets too high for too long, then it could pro pose some health problems. On the other hand, maybe your body's doing that in order to burn out some germs, or who knows what the body's doing, but there is a health benefit for having that fever, and that's why the body does that. And so one insight that I got then from that is that when we talk about music therapy, music healing, sound healing and all this, it's not enough just to talk about this periodic concept of music, that it's all waves and rhythms and cycles and all that, periodicities, all that is fine and that's all great. But we also have to make room for the unexpected, you know, that 
that the, the, the mistake when your hand slips off the instrument and you got to work with that. Okay, what are, where am I going to go with that, you know? Um, jazz, improvisation, you know, if you can, if you can deal with uh, an unexpected situation in jazz, then you can deal with an unexpected situation in life, you know? And so, so I've had a, a more healthy respect for the value of chaos and also for the fact that we live in chaotic times and I have a friend who's a mathematician and physicist, and one time I asked him, I said, you know, is it just me or is this world getting more chaotic? Because that's his specialty is chaos theory. And he said, oh, yes, definitely. The world's definitely getting more and more chaotic. Okay, good. It's not just me. Well, okay, then this gives us a lot of opportunities then. Because what happens is that chaos, in, the, in a world of chaos, one of the, the hallmarks of chaos, and this Barbara Crow talks about this in her book, is that the situation is very sensitive to initial conditions. So one little change can have a huge effect down the road. And so that gives us a tremendous power then, because if we make the right decisions and we take the right actions, we can do just a few things and create this wonderful new era of peace and harmony. I mean, why not? When you think about 9-11, you know, 19 people changed history, you know, and they did this very destructive act. Well, what about 19 people or 19,000 people or whatever focused on something really positive? Imagine how much more power they would have. And the question, the, the, the real key is in knowing what to do, knowing where to make the change which goes back to one of the main themes of my album, State of Nature, because a lot of what that's about is this idea that we need to cultivate our minds, we need to learn more, we need to educate ourselves as a species so that we can make better decisions. My job was not to tell people what decisions to make. My job was to kind of suggest that, you know, you know um, let's, let's make the mind cool. Let's make the mind sexy. Let's make it you know, desirable to, to develop our, ourselves mentally. And then we'll just naturally, spontaneously make the right, the right decision. You know, when I'm doing my, my seminars and I'm talking about this topic, one of the things I, I, I like to say is this, a story. I don't remember where I got this from, but um, there's this, the, the, there was this woman, and this is just a, a made-up story, but it gives you the, the concept. And she was in the Navy. And she was an expert in um, ship maintenance, naval ship maintenance. And uh, they had some kind of problem with their, their naval ship, and nobody could figure it out. So they called her the expert. So she comes on the ship, and she looks around, and she goes here, and she's taking notes, taking notes. And she goes all around the ship. And then, and then after doing this, she pulls a hammer out of her pocket, and she goes tap, 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 right in this one spot. And then, poof, the whole problem fixes itself. And then everyone is just amazed. Wow, you're brilliant. Thank you so much. We're not worthy, you know. And so then um, she sends the bill. And uh, the bill is um, says, okay, you know, $1,000, you know. And they say, well, you know, can you be a little bit more specific? Like, like, what did you actually do for, you know, all we saw you do was tap with the hammer. Come on, $1,000 just to tap with the hammer? You know, be real here. And, and so she says, okay, here's your itemized bill. And she and the bill says, um, tapping with hammer, five dollars. 
knowing where to tap, $995. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's the kind of opportunity that we have in a chaotic world. Well, I've always been into music, like I said, and I, I remember there was a time when I was maybe like about, like see, I had to be, I think I was about nine years old, and my mother was in the other room listening to this classical station on the radio, and this piece came on that was the suite from The Love of Three Oranges by Prokofiev, and this music just took me to a, to a zone, man. I mean, I was like, wow. It's like fireworks going off in my head. And, um, and I real, and I, and it sounded familiar too. So I said, mom, you got to get me this record. So we went out and she got me the, the record. And, um, I realized after I'd been listening to it, that some of that music was used in some of the cartoons that I used to listen to, like some of the action cartoons, like Johnny Quest and some of the Hanna-Barbera stuff, they use this same music. And so there's this kind of like the stimulation of the visualization. But just the, this idea that um, this, this piece and this whole period of composition was an interesting time because it was a time when composers had broken out of the conventional tonality but hadn't completely gone into shedding it entirely it hadn't completely gone into atonality and so it was just sort of like a extended tonality and sort of creating new concepts of what tonal relationships can be and there wasn't necessarily a real highly developed theory behind it they were just going for it you know and so the, a lot of the music from that general time frame is really quite remarkable and um, that was a pivotal moment for me just just in feeling the power of the music not just emotionally but wake, awakening my mind I had another similar experience the first time that I heard uh, John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra the Inner Mounting Flame and that again was one of those Oh, and in between, I forgot to mention uh, hearing Jimi Hendrix for mm -hmm. the first time. Of course, I got to mention that too. And, um, you know, it's moments like that that are part of the markers where I remember my life. You know, it's like I think back and I remember, you know, when my daughter was born. I remember various hard drives when they crashed, you know. And I remember musical revelations, you know. And that's, those are the main things, you know. And um, so I always kind of felt like if I could make music that has that same kind of essence to it. And sometimes what will happen is I get visited by this musical inspiration that comes to me. And I can't really explain it, but I kind of have learned how to stay with it and just tune into it. And I find that a lot of my best music comes when I'm in that kind of a zone where I'm not so conscious of it. I might sort of prime the pump a little bit or I might guide it a little bit consciously, but then I just open the spigot and I just let it flow. And that is the, the stuff. I can't explain it. I can't really understand it. I mean, maybe on a theoretical level, after it comes out, then I can explain it, you know, like, oh, of course I meant that, you know, but not really. I mean, when I did it, 
I had no idea what I was doing. It just came to me, you know. And so what I find is that a lot of the process of composing, com composing my best music, what it comes down to is really more of an internal thing. It's getting myself in a state of openness so that that inspiration is able to, to just come in, you know. And I have to turn off the judgment because as soon as I start to judge it, then it runs and hides. And so I have to just really have a sense of trust and just kind of let it go, you know. And um, Pat Metheny made a, a really good point about composition. And I totally resonate with, with what he said at one point. He was talking about his process of composition. And he said that he likes to separate the um, inspirational side from the editing side. I don't remember his exact words, but that's basically basically it. It's like if you're too much in an editing mode while you're getting the inspiration, then it's not so compatible. And so for me, what I would sometimes rather do is just be a total open vessel and I get all the music and I get it and I get it and I just go and I go and I go until I just, you know, collapse on the floor or whatever, you know, and then finally I'll come to, you know, oh, where am I, you know, oh, you know, um, I've got all this stuff recorded and I go back over it and then I start thinking, okay, well this part, I can go from here and I can cut that and I can move that there and rearrange, slice, dice, popeel, slice-o-matic. And then the next thing I know, I've got a musical composition, but that's because I've switched over to the other side of my brain, you know. And that's when I, I started to um, really, really realize that it's as much of an internal thing as an external thing. And I think this is an important point, and I tell this to all of my students that the inside is just as important as the outside, maybe even more sometimes, because we are kind of encouraged to compose for an external result. Like, you know, I want to create some music that's going to have a certain sound. Maybe I want to, um, to impress, you know, Randy Jackson, or maybe I want to get lucky after the gig or whatever. There's always some external thing you know, maybe I want the New York Times to say my album was good. There's always something out there that we're supposed to strive for. And so we forget about the internal thing, or the internal thing ends up pressing itself into the service of the external. And then we end up not necessarily hearing our true inner musical voice. And, and so sometimes it's necessary to take some action to shut out the outside so that we can tune in better on what the inside is. For me, sometimes that involves going to certain natural places and being inspired by nature. I've been that way for years and years. It might entail taking a little bit of a hiatus from the industry so then it's just me and the music and I'm not thinking about how the music will be used, how it might be judged. You know, um, but again, it's that separation, um, but uh, a judicious separation, just like we have two sides of our brain. And sometimes you have to kind of let each one do its thing for a while. Then you then you pull them together. And for, I remember, see, it was right, like right around the very early 80s, late, late 70s. I wanted to um, start to conduct these... Um, sessions where we, we would experiment with music and meditation and I would play for people and we would experiment with how the music could bring people into different 
states of consciousness and just see if we can use that for health, for um, the development of our consciousness, awareness and things like that, you know. And um, I didn't really have the accessibility to the to the audience like I wanted. Like in a conventional concert, you know, it's it's all about step one, step two, you know. It's it's not always easy to get into that state of we're just here. There's no sequential thing going on. It's just the, the moment. It's it's not always easy to get folks into that kind of a frame of mind. But I always had that feeling. And whenever I had this, the opportunity, even with just a few people, I would enjoy trying out some of this stuff. And so what that eventually grew into, since I discovered the music therapy stuff, is sort of more of a full in incorporation of that, of that approach. Not necessarily on a, hey, let's get together and do a music meditation thing, but even just some of the ideas, some of the general principles, you know? So like when I'm working on my album, for example, and I think about locating instruments in the left and right speaker and things like that, there are things that I've learned about how the brain processes based on the left and right ear that sometimes I'll take into account when I do my, you know, my pants for my mixes. So that's just one example, example of that. And what basically where I'm at now with this is I feel like I'm on the verge of some kind of a new breakthrough, although I think it's just going to be elements that were there all along perhaps, but but I feel like I'm getting ready to make a new step with, with my music. Because I feel like I've pretty much exhausted the model of music that's out there now and I'm just so tired of it. It's like we've got this one-dimensional thing where you've got this polarity where you've got your commercial music over here and you got your artistic music over here and there's this attitude that they're mutually exclusive and so if you do one then necessarily it's not the other and you hear you know so much of the aesthetic is bouncing back and forth between these two extremes. And I'm so tired of it. I'm, so, I'm tired of both of them, to be honest. Because when you deconstruct it, there's nothing there. Like, for example, if you go to the commercial, what the commercial is all about is simplifying the music as much as possible. And then you go to the artistic, and they're trying to make the music as complicated as possible. And neither one of those was really satisfying to me. Because I feel that in both cases, they're guilty of the same mistake, which is this sort of superficial focusing on the surface level of the structure of the music and the patterning of the notes. And what I'm trying to get to is something deeper than that, more like the essence. It's like, it's like there's got to be something that, that is in every single one of those notes, regardless of the patterning or the structuring of it. The note itself is like a vehicle, just in the same way that our body is kind of like a, a, a placeholder to occupy the form that the spirit believes itself to have in space. In the same way, the, the note or the phrase, the section, the movement and all that is really just kind of a shell to, to hold this essence of music, which is a subtle energy. So it's 
difficult to describe or to define, but we all know that it's, it's there. And so what I'm trying to do is to find a way to let that essence come through better. And what I'm finding that I'm needing to do in order to, to accomplish that is to have more flexibility with the patterning of the shell so that the shell can in, encompass anything that, that it needs to. So what I'm finding that I have to do as a sort of step toward that direction is I'm finding that I have to break some of the rules. And as my teacher said, you know, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. And I think after all these years I've been out here, I think I've learned the rules well enough, you know. And so I'm really ready to, ready to break these rules and break the mold, break the shell, so that the liquid can come pouring out. And, and so that's, I know I'm being real metaphorical here, but that's basically the concept behind the next level of what my music is going to be. And so... It, as difficult as it is now, it might become even more difficult to define it in terms of, is it rock, is it jazz, is it classical, you know, is it Middle Eastern, I don't know what to call it necessarily, but it would be an unmistakable connection, like, a, like an intersection. It's like we've got this mundane world that we at least we call it mundane because we kind of shut our sensitivity down so we don't appreciate how divine it really is but we've got this mundane world and somewhere out there we have this sense that there is this sort of more divine or more spiritual world out there or whatever and somehow the sound has an ability to make that connection and i i don't know any other way to, to describe it other than that but i'll just say one one more thing in, in terms of that, there's a story that I really love that really indicates where I'm coming from it's spiritually. And it's basically like this. Okay, there's a guy, there's a guy who is in his house and the town begins to flood. And so um, he's out, you know, on his first floor, you know, porch. And uh, somebody comes by on a bicycle and says, hey, the floods are coming. Do you want to ride on my bicycle? And he's like, no, it's okay. You know, God's going to save me. And the bike rider's like, okay, you know, bye. And drive, you know, rides off. So then the water starts to rise. It reaches his house. So now he's got to go upstairs. And he's on the second floor balcony now. And somebody comes by in a boat and says, and says, says, hey, man, you want to ride? And he's like, no problem. God's going to save me. He says, okay, bye, speeds off in the boat, you know. So the water rises higher now. So now he's up on his roof, and somebody comes overhead in a helicopter and says, do you want a lift? And he says, no, God's going to save me. So then the helicopter pilot, okay, and flies away, okay. So now the water rises up, and of course, the guy drowns, you know. So he ends up in heaven, and he's mad now. And he goes to God, and he says, God. I put my faith in you. I went to church. I prayed. You know, I thought you were going to save me. Why didn't you save me? And God said, I tried. I sent you a, a bike. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. What do you want me to do? You know, and that, that is what my spirituality is all about in that simple story. Because it shows that this world that we get so bored with because it's so mundane and, oh, I got to do my taxes and all this kind of stuff. This world is just so amazingly divine. 
And what I think that music has the power to do is to touch people in a center where they can be more just awake and just more aware and just more appreciative. It's like, you know, um, the, the sages from the East say that we can grow spiritually if we can remain in the moment. And where the arts play a role in this is that the arts make that moment so special that there's no place else you want to be except right here, right now, appreciating the art. And, and so that's why I feel that music has this role to play in the awakening of human beings, which I totally feel is happening. Maybe it's not happening fast enough. And, it, and you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to get through this in good shape, you know. But we have the opportunity still. And so I feel like doing everything I can do to help that, that process along. And so regardless of the style, what we're going to call the style, the essence of it, and I think that people are going to feel that, is that what my music is going to be about in this coming phase is to help make that bridge and blast those cells wide open so that people can feel more present and appreciate the moment more and feel their own power to make a difference without me having to say, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. I, I trust in the wisdom of, of people and they will make the right decisions. They just have to have that belief in, in themselves. So I'm going to try to help that along through music. Thank you for listening to our Soundings podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program. To learn more about our music, guided meditations, and videos, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. Peace through music blessings.